All right, 20 years after the success of her first memoir, the New York Times bestseller, The Truth Is, Melissa Etheridge, the Grammy and Oscar award-winning rocker and trailblazing icon, takes stock of the intervening years recounting the euphoric triumphs and the life-altering tragedies of her life. In her new book, Talking to My Angels, Melissa profoundly takes an honest look into her inner life as a woman, an artist, a mother, and a survivor. Her story is also being told in a limited Broadway engagement on stage called My Window, and to me... Well, she's simply an ass kicker and Grammy and Academy Award winning Melissa Etheridge joins me tonight. I think ass kicker covers a lot of who you are, doesn't it? <laughs> I appreciate that. That might be one of my favorite descriptions. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know what? You wrote um, a memoir a couple of decades ago. How was the writing process for you for this book so many years later? I mean, you're, you're a different person evolved in so many ways. Oh, everything's so different now. It it was uh, just you know the 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 spirit of where it was coming from. You know the the first book was like, oh, this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and then and this and this and this is how I you know wrote the songs, and this is what this meant. And now it just well, it's a different of looking. It's the difference of looking at your life when you're thirty and when you're sixty. It's really you know your your life. Uh, there's some deeper meanings, deeper. Yeah stories, you know, to put in this book. I know. I'm sure you look back at, at the first book when you were writing this one and said, well, okay. I, you know, I, that's how I thought about it at that time. Now I see it yeah. a little bit differently, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the way, like, I mean, even the way we think of our parents, you know, and when you're 30, you're still kind of blaming your parents for a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're 60, then you, you have a little bit more empathy for your parents because you're a parent yourself. And, and you realize, oh, wow, my parents were just human beings doing the best they could. Yeah, it is about, there's a couple things. It's about doing your best and, and seeing it that way. And also the intention, you know, like, did somebody on your journey intend to do that? Or or was it just, it was what it was because yeah. they didn't know any better, right? Yeah, so much of that. I mean, the, the, the time changes so much. How do you find writing like these books different from other mediums, writing music, um, writing for the theater, which, which you're, you've done, like what, what's different about, about this memoir? Well, I, I think of them as, as like containers and a song is about a three or four minute container mm-hmm. of a moment, you know, and I and I have that space to craft with words and rhythm and music something that that entertains that 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 uh you know can delight or move someone and then i think of the like the the broadway show that i'm doing right now it's that's two hours that i have to tell story to sing to you know move people And, and it's a it's there's a bit more crafting going on there because you have more time and you really want to you know build the moment and then a book is like, oh gosh, you've got it. There's so much space there, right, right. and uh, you still have to. There's still stuff you, you know, I could go on for right. days, <laughs> you know. So it's just this t- sort of space you have to to craft the the story in. Well, you talk about, and I, and I love so many parts of this book, but this is about changing your choices, which you wrote, which I like very much. You talk about how those changes changed your life and. That's pretty much how you've lived your life, right? Yeah, the as things have have come along to me as as um, 
you know, I, as, as things unfold, I, I've realized things don't happen to me. They, they unfold for me. And then it's my choice how I perceive them. Mm-hmm. And, um, each one is, is, is a step. I, I think I've, I've learned now in my sixties to, to not be knocked over by things anymore, to understand that, that this is what shapes and, and leads me to ask for different things and bring in things in my life. So those changes, all changes are good. And so different, as you said earlier, from your younger self, it's just a different, it's a different viewpoint on, on life and, and what you can do with those choices. I love that you just said that, that you just, things weren't happening to her. They were happening and presented for you to make those other choices, right? Yeah. And once, once I really came to that uh, sort of belief about how my life is, it, it just, it helps with the stress so much. I think now it's, Nowadays, I mean, I started realizing after cancer that while stress is either I have a hold of it or, or it has a hold of me. And so uh, right. to, to really know what stress does, does to me and my health and, to, and then to live and understand that I have choices in, in all of this. Well, and you talk about those choices even early on in the book. You said when you were young you know, you made the decision to use your mental energy only on creating music. Um, what, what made you focus just on that at that time? Well, it was, it was the thought of, well, it was, it was what was available to me at the, at the time, you know, I, I started writing and then that opened up the uh, possibility of, I mean, I started playing music and that opened the opportunity to write and once I started writing, then the music became a uh, a vehicle for it, and and I just and I loved it, so I did it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, with with this great love and excitement. And then it got better and better and better, and I just was like, "Ooh, let's see how far this can go." And, and I took it, you know, a, a, a large way. <laughs> I went, yeah. you know, it went very large, and and then you you, you know just that you realize it's not the end result that is the most satisfying because the end result is like, Oh, there it is. And then you kind of wake up the next day and move on. It's, it's the journey. It's, it's, it's the fun in creating it and dreaming that dream and going, Ooh, maybe I can write a book. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you, and then you put it all there. Maybe I can do this on stage and maybe I can present my life in an artistic way that can inspire and fill people up and, and, and you, you just go try to do it. And that's the fun part. Well, and I think it's, it's no secret that when we talk about entertainers, you know, their best work comes out of life's challenges. So they say out of, out of tragedy comes comedy out of life's challenges comes great music. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the path, isn't it? Yeah. I always say poor choices make great songs. <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely. I love that. I love that. All right. I'm going to quote your book a little bit here because I, I love uh, several things in here. The summer of 82, I drove West from Kansas to California on my own, determined to pull out all that came behind me before behind me, the burdens of my childhood, my attempts to be a so-called normal girl and date guys, my brief stint in Boston and to chart a new life for myself. I had $300 in my wallet. As I set out for LA, a yellow hatchback, a Stevie wonder run in, determined to make it. And that just tells of such a cathartic time of not letting anything or anyone stand in your way, no matter what it took. Yeah. And it wasn't like I had a lot of obstacles. Probably my biggest obstacle was my own fear 
And, uh, you know, once you just say, hey, I'm doing it no matter what, then then you, you kind of once you walk through a fear, you see that it dissipates and, and then you're on the road, you're doing it. And and you just let it unfold in front of you every day. And, you know, it's easy for me to say now, but of course there were times I was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no question. And speaking of writing this book, your your love of reading was it wasn't books necessarily it was poetry, which mm-hmm. is a great path to write music. Oh, completely. Oh, the poets. I'm sometimes someone will say, Oh, you're a poet. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand the poets do it without music. They do it with, with uh, the rhythm of the words, the mm-hmm. rhythm of syllables. They do it in, 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 in a small minute way. And, and, you know, take a, an emotion and just paint it just through those words. And I have great respect for poetry. But at some point in your childhood, and, and again, you love poetry, you gave up reading. Like, so what, what was that? Why, why, why did you give up reading? It's a great story. Well, that, that was the I'm mad at my mom, so I yeah. gave up reading because my, my mother used to, uh, my mother was kind of distant. She had a hard time. As, as a lot of women back in the 60s and 70s, she was very, uh, very intelligent and today would would have had uh, some sort of computer something she was she was a hidden figures type she she used to work for a big financial company in in the computer room when computers were as big as rooms and she uh, brought computer programming to the army and of course was paid half as much and mm-hmm. didn't get any of the credit so she was a little she was a little uh, cranky and frustrated and and I would come she would come home at night and she would uh, make dinner barely and then would sit and read just all night long and I it was like I couldn't talk to her uh, and um so I was like well I don't ever want to do that so I'm not going to read <laughs> just, yeah. you know yeah stubborn then, kid you know, yeah yeah, then I went out in my 20s and went, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of really amazing things to read. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, let, let me ask you this. So, you know, did you read to your children when they were little? I would assume so. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I loved reading to my kids. And every now and then, my teenagers will still ask me, every now and then, if I can read something when they when they need that sort of kind of comfort. And yeah. and I'll, I'll read to them. And, and it's just, it, it's a beautiful thing to do to for somebody is to read for them. And I, I read as long as I could to them every single night. <laughs> Let's say what book most influenced you as your development as a musician? Do you remember like what book they were like, wow, this is really, was it poetry? Was it a story about another you know musician? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the poets that really inspired me was Pablo Neruda. Mm-hmm. He was just beautiful, romantic poet. And I would say um, in my formulative songwriting years in the in my 20s i would say it was uh jd salinger and vonnegut kurt vonnegut those two were such interesting Mm -hmm. ways of writing that were sort of outside the normal storytelling that i that it 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 inspired me to write where people could still reach it but just to just make them reach up a little that was that was always my my goal we're talking to Melissa Etheridge. Her book is Talking to My Angels. Her Broadway play is My Window. There's more with her next on 720 WGN. Stay Player 720 WGN. We're talking to music icon Melissa Etheridge. You know, you mentioned in the memoir how an evening with a large amount of cannabis jump-started your spiritual awakening. How so? Explain that. Well, 
I don't know if you've ever had a large amount, <laughs> if you've ever done uh, the uh, edibles and uh, found yourself overdosed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I call it a heroic dose because there are, are people that do it on purpose and really go out there and explore their consciousness. And it was the first time I was out of my um, my own sort of solid three-dimensional consciousness and realized that there's much more uh, in the world, there's much more of of energy that we see, and it, it opened up the whole sort of esoteric uh, landscape for me. And and it's a it's a journey that some people take and some people don't, and some people get there in many different ways. Um, mine was through plant medicine, through plant spirit, you know, through cannabis. I've since you know tried psilocybin and ayahuasca and a lot of different plant medicines. And, <clears throat> And um, for me, it's it's a it's a wonderful way to uh, find understanding, to find peace, to help um, with stress, to help just uh, kind of cope with a lot of things. Well, in a public life, uh, and especially your public life, involves a lot of personal sacrifice and a complete loss of privacy. So, how did that becoming a more spiritual person help ease the pain of all that? Well, you start realizing that pain isn't caused by outside forces pain is a is is the way that i'm looking at it pain is the way i'm thinking about it and you start looking at things and going what well, you know what this is this is there again for me and it's not happening to me well plus it's, it there's got to be a lot of the the spiritual nature of who you are probably helped you write this book I, there's a lot of healing that's involved yeah when you do something like that yeah. so, so having that spiritual journey and experiencing that and living that every day only has to help, right? Yeah, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book. I wanted to maybe be an example or an inspiration to people who are maybe searching for something like that. Uh, here's an example, as I quote what you wrote in the book, when I see how much my own thoughts and emotions create my reality, create what's in front of me, there's real power in that really speaks about who you are. And, you know, you've had to deal with some some life issues and, and recovering from a great loss in your life, right? Yeah. The, the, the sadness that you can feel as a parent, I lost my son when he was 21, about uh, three years ago to an opioid addiction. And, and, and that really was the challenge because I had sort of been walking this, this path of, okay, I, I'm creating my reality. You know, the better it gets, the better it gets, the more joy, you know, all those things I was, I was sort of walking and, and, and yet I would see my son suffering and it, it was, it was quite a challenge. And when he finally, uh, overdosed, when he finally passed, um, you know, it, it got really dark there and it really, it really challenged me to either believe this or not, you know, am I going to let this be the thing that just destroys me and covers me up and I can't show my face anymore because I'm going to take on the, the guilt and shame of, you know, my son and what should, could I have done for him and those sort of things. Or am I going to say, wow, you know, you know, opioids are a big problem and my son made his choices and I did the best I could and, and he's in a place of no pain now. And, and, uh, you know, I do believe life is eternal. I do believe our life source is, is eternal and we are all connected and, and I find great comfort in that. Um, 
you wrote this awakening to women's history and to the ongoing quest for equal rights pushed my ability to believe in my own experience and trust my feelings in a way of seeing and being in the world. I began to apply this newfound insight to the legacy of all women to my music. I wanted my voice, my lyrics, and my music itself to ring with this emerging feminist awakening through my music. The combination of finding my stride as a working performer, becoming part of a supportive and thriving community of out and about lesbians were powerful forces in my development as an artist. That's one hell of a mission uh, to take on. And it's a mission you've stayed true to. Well, it's, it's a personal thing. It's who I am. You know, I am a woman and, and, um, you know, I'm, that's, that's what I need. That's, that's what I want to do. And, and, there's a lot of us out there. And so it, especially, you know, lesbians and it's just like, you know, let's, let's just try to be the best we can be. I was going to ask you about how you relax and escape. And I forgot, I read a very long time ago that you were deep into jigsaw puzzles. Is that where you, cause that's all, <laughs> yeah, I know, but you, it takes a lot. I have no patience for that. That takes a lot of patience, but that's, that's where you find your Zen. Yeah. Oh, I love them. I love, I have my puzzle tables, like in the middle of my, my whole house and I just, the, the world goes on around me and I can just sit there and, and put that lovely landscape together. It's very, very zen. And you're also a football fan, specifically the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good I'm time. having a good time these last <laughs> few years. I'm sorry about those bears. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the condolences. I appreciate that. But I've been there. I have, You have my sympathy. Yeah, yeah. But it's a great time to be a, a fan of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's so good. And, and some big Super Bowl wins. So, you know, you stick it out. Until those moments happen, right? Yes, you do. You do. I, I waited 50 years. I, I was <laughs> right. like, there you go. Here we go. There we go. Melissa Etheridge, her book is Talking to My Angels. Her Broadway play is My Window. You know, another great read, Melissa. Great insight into your journey. And honestly, happy you shared it again with all the world. Well, thank you very much. All right. News is next here on 720 WGN.